Thank you so much, Mary. Appreciate it very much. Beautiful music. Um, Ellen Daniels has heard her play, and just out of the blue, we were just talking, and I don't know what brought it up, but she thought, says, well, she's a wonderful pianist. Yeah. I thought that's a pretty good compliment from Amen. Ellen, you know. Amen. So, And uh, that was great. Great. I was looking back there at that song, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. You'll see down at the bottom there, my Uncle Robert wrote that. <laughs> I guess. His name's Robinson anyway. Anyway, I was looking at that one verse there. <laughs> Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. <laughs> I need a flaming tongue. <laughs> my wife corrected me on a song this morning i am prone to making up my own words when i don't know them and and it, theologically it wasn't right you know and she called my attention to that so i uh, i got <laughs> i got some tension said what are you saying that's not right and i said okay okay i know but if i don't make if i don't if it sounds good i just sing it and, and i have a good time anyway but Amen. some of these days i'm gonna have a flaming tongue here <laughs> oh me I forgot, too, um, what happened to, uh, oh, he's back counting money. Um, what's his name? Walt there. <laughs> he just uh, told me that Karen's not here because she had back spasms, bad ones this week. Uh, <coughs> they had moved some furniture on Wednesday, Thursday night, that night, on Thursday or whatever. She had some terrible back spasms, kept him up all night. He said, I was not in a good mood on Friday because I didn't get any sleep. So... Oh, yes. And oh, yeah. And I didn't bring that card either. Did we leave? I left that at home. Ken and Sue Hensley. Oh, man, I should have remembered that one. Uh, sent us a card. I had just told Janet Saturday morning. I said, you know, something about Ken and Sue. And I couldn't remember her name. It just got to me. I said, we haven't seen them for a while. Well, believe it or not, that afternoon, we got a card in the mail. Ken had five-way bypass surgery on September the 4th. So he's doing better, and they said they really missed us a lot, and they're looking forward to getting up here. Uh, they drive all the way up here about once a month or so from Adairsville, Georgia. And uh, so that's why they haven't been around for a while. Five-way bypass. So we need, do need to re pray for his continued recovery. Okay, we have uh, James and Mary Ray with us this morning. Brother Ray was... Uh, uh, general director at BMI for several years. He is um, now in charge of international Bible ministry. He's raising funds, as we've been talking about for several weeks, to uh, this for this end of the world Bible project. Uh, I'm excited about that. I just think it's the neatest thing in the world. Um, I've been on a couple Bible distribution projects with them and uh, with James and Mary, both in Armenia and also in Siberia. And then one, a little sachet on one on back from uh, Armenia, I think it was. We went over to Ireland and did a few distributions over there as well. So it was quite an exciting trip. And if you ever have a hankering that God might use you on some kind of a trip like that to go along and distribute the scriptures, you won't find any better leaders than these two right here because they, they know their stuff. They know what to do. They know how to go about it. And we had a good time. And I don't know, maybe we could, he might even tell you a story or two about that trip. Uh, I'm thinking of the one with Mary getting caught on the little bus there, trying to give Bibles out. And that was, uh, and then he'll draw, and then after all of these experiences are over with, he'll draw up little cartoons about each person and some experience they had on the trip. So it's, it's quite a time. 
But nonetheless, I'm looking forward to this presentation. I think your heart's going to be moved by this. Brother Thank Ray. You. Thank you, Brother Allen. I appreciate Brother Allen. He's a trooper, too. The story I remember is uh, in Armenia, we went into this restaurant, and we were going to order. And, um, it, I mean, they had a tremendous menu. They had all kind of stuff, but they had no food back there. And um, they actually had to go out and catch it after you ordered it. I mean, whatever they, and whatever you ordered, that's what it was, I mean, whatever they caught. I know Allen ordered quail or something like that, and... Um, we waited and waited, and I think it's two hours later they came with this little dried-up thing. I think it had a couple of legs sticking up, and um, I don't know what what it was. Uh, I mean, I did see a, a pigeon out on a limb weeping. I think his mate had been taken. I'm not sure, but it was. They said it said it was quail. But we've had a great time. I can identify. I mean, I pray. You know, wives straightening you out, Janet. I thank God for wives. Um, I was, I was preaching last week at Brother Lily's church, and the light, I'm going to tell Brother Lily this, but the light was pretty dim on the pulpit, and so I'm, I, 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 I need my bifocals anyway these days, and they're right down there, I think. And, um, but um, anyway, uh, I was missing verses, you know, I was just kind of, I knew the scripture, I was kind of, and so I, Mary said, they think you weren't even preaching on the King James, I said. <laughs> So I got my glasses. We, I was there half a week and got my glasses. Got a large print Bible in there. And I said, that was not the King James Version. That was the James Version you were hearing, hearing last week. But um, I was thinking about singing those hymns and, and singing the other words. One time I was singing away. I'm satisfied with just a mansion below. Mary, Mary said, no, honey, that's not the way, that's not the way that goes. That's probably the way I, I think about it. But uh, it's great to be a be brother Allen. Be good to him. He's a good guy. Amen. And he's just a good guy. Everybody loves Allen. Now be good to him. Just do things for him. I mean, I hope you buy him a suit once in a while and buy her a dress and trade his car in once a year and send him on holidays to Hawaii and things. I can't read your writing. What else did you tell me to tell them? <laughs> but um, he is. We love Brother Allen and Janet, and uh, it's great. Let me teach you a little chorus. Uh, Brother Allen might remember. We'd come out of a hotel on some of these Bible trips, and we would sing a little chorus. We put some words to Al Smith's tune, and it's, Good morning, Lord Jesus. I love you today. I'll open my Bible and see what you say. I know you will guide me and direct my way. Good morning, Lord Jesus. I love you today. Now, it's pretty simple, really. And if you sing that to Jesus every day, uh, just sing Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Sing him a love song because salvation is a love story. Now, I can't play like Mary, but I'll do my best. Mary, you come and sing that, and then I want you to sing it. Brother. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, we do have more than <laughs> we <laughs> Well, uh one can play and one can sing. I need to tell which ones they are. Okay. It goes good morning, Lord Jesus. I love you today. And I give you the words and then Mary singing. I'll open my Bible and see what you say. I know you will guide me and direct my way. Good morning, Lord Jesus. I love you today.
Now will you sing it with us, okay? Good morning, Lord Jesus. I love you today. I will open my Bible and see what you say. I know you will guide me. Will guide me and direct my way. Good morning, Lord Jesus. I love you. Get it? Let's stand up and try it, okay? And try it one more time. Good morning, Lord Jesus. I love you today. I will open my Bible and see what you say. I know you will guide me and direct my way. Good morning. Sing it three times and you've got it for life. And you can sing it in the shower. Let's try it one more time. Good morning, Lord Jesus. I love you today. I will open my Bible and see what you say. I know you will guide me and direct my way. Good morning. Right, thank you very much. <clears throat> Brother Allen has been a great blessing to us around BIMI's missionary and, and served missionaries and a great servant of Christ. And I say that sincerely and appreciate him so much and I love his interest. He's always given me something or something that he knows I'd be interested in and and uh, and you've got a great pastor, and you know, and there's a lot of people that need to be in these pews, amen. And we can get them. We can get them here. And uh, you, I know you've got a good number here. And and let's pray that God will bring others in to hear what He has to say. And I thank God for this church. I've seen it a long time. Great joy to be here today. Well, uh, let me. I, I'm going to show you the video if it works. I think it's going to. And I never know about wires and things like that, but I. I believe it's going to work, and so we'll show that first. And I, we also work in, Mary and I working with the 100-plus nations ministry and the International Bible Ministry, BIMI. The, uh, a few years ago, we set a goal. We were in about 83 countries. We set a goal of being in 100 nations in the world. There are 195 nations. If you count uh, islands of the sea and some dependent nations like that, they're probably 219.20 in that region. Sometimes the numbers go up and down with nations moving their sovereignties and things like that. But we, we would like to see the gospel in every one of those nations. Wouldn't it be something if we could see the gospel in every nation on earth in our lifetime? Some way, you know, some nations will never get missionaries in, in our lifetime, Muslim countries, but we could get the gospel there some way, somehow. And uh, I know, but thanks to Brother Allen, our teams, a uh, million Bibles are in Eastern Europe and Russia, and that ministry has gone on since I, I left the European director part and became uh, director of BMI. Uh, but um, uh, every, you know, but generations read those Bibles. There'd be hundreds and thousands of thousands of people, several million or more, who will read those Bibles eventually. But 
Our work is not done. In the Russian Empire, the 300 million people, we've got a million Bibles out. And so maybe if even if 10, 20 million people eventually read those Bibles, how many people will never hold the Word of God in their hands? And not only there, but we're going to go uh, with Brother Roger Blevins, South American director, to the bottom of the world uh, next year. Probably in the fall, we're trying to get the money together and get the Bibles printed and shipped down. This is literally the uttermost part of the earth. Christ said, send the Bible. Uh, he said, send, send the, you know, be, be witnesses to the uttermost part of the earth. Where that, this is the uttermost part. It's the southernmost inhabited city on the planet. It's about five, 600 miles or so from Antarctica. And this, you know, literally is the uttermost part. It doesn't mean it's the end of the story, but we, we would like to get Bibles to that part of the world. So in the video, I want to show you a little bit about the hundred nations and uh, trying to get into different nations, nations we've gotten in before. Some nations we've had missionaries in that we no longer have missionaries in, and we need to get missionaries back in those countries. And you see Brother Allen, I think, in, in one of those uh, shots. But, but I hope you pray for these. Uh, uh, we are in hundred nations and we have 20 more targeted nations, but we want to get the gospel and missionaries into as many as possible. And hope you really pray that we'll be able to do that and get the Word of God uh, into these places. And, um, you know, it will be a wonderful Christmas project. And, and again, uh, I don't know what you have on your agenda, but we're praying for 125 churches who will help us with $1,000 apiece. $125,000 what we need, uh, $500 apiece. And I'm not really here to fundraise today, but just telling you what we're doing. And um, what, I've sent a letter out that went out this week to a lot of people. And the letter said, give Christ, give Jesus this Christmas something he has always wanted to give the gospel a witness to the end of the earth. This is a chance to give Jesus something he has always wanted. And I believe we can do it. And I believe that uh, funds will come in. We've got about probably with Brother Roger and what we're trying to do, 15, 16,000 of that in. And I believe God will help us to do that. And I hope you uh, watch it prayerfully and pray for the nations of the world where the gospel has yet to go and then pray for this special project. How many of you have heard the name Charles Darwin? Okay. And he is the one who created what philosophy? Evolution, okay? There's a mention of Charles Darwin in this project, and he's been to that area. In fact, he built his evolutionary doctrine from this area. Really, he, he used it for, to illustrate his evolutionary trash, you know, I call it a doctrine. But it's interesting, so you watch that, and let's hope that everything works, okay? Take me just a minute to uh, hopefully get the sound right. Can we turn the lights out? surrounding countries of the geographical Russian Empire were open. The opportunity was astounding. In the Church of Jesus Christ, 
will send missionaries to those surrounding nations. History could be altered in favor of heaven. Although there was some interest, the plea fell largely on deaf ears. After World War II, those countries fell under the iron rod of communism and Stalin. Churches were banned, and Christianity was outlawed, with the possible exception of the controlled state Russian Orthodox Church. A few months after the end of the Second World War, Winston Churchill spoke at Westminster College in Fulton, Missouri. During the speech, he used the term Iron Curtain to describe the line in Europe between three nations and those falling under communist domination. Churchill said, an iron curtain has descended across the continent. Stalin sent hundreds of thousands of people to Siberia. This included thousands of Christians who were arrested for illegal worship. It's been estimated that 50 million people from Russia and surrounding countries died under his reign of terror. In Latvia, Stalin's troops raided homes in the middle of the night, taking men and women, and over 100,000 people were herded in their cattle cars and shipped by rail to Siberia. Most of them never returned. One of Stalin's methods for dealing with dissenters was hunger. Ukrainians called this campaign the Holocaust of Hunger. Soviet troops raided villages and homes, taking away every trace of food and whatever harvest was available. With no food anywhere, people died in public, collapsing on the streets. Millions died. If people survived hunger, they were deported to Siberia or shot by the thousands. In 1969, when I pastored in North Alabama, I invited a Russian minister to share his experience with my congregation. He described the horror of his life in Russia during the man-made famine of Stalin. No one present could ever forget his words. He said, I saw my little sister starve to death knowing on a piece of shoe leather, trying to get food value out of it. Our Bible distribution teams met a 96-year-old woman in the Ukraine who told them of seeing her six children starve to death. These were real, ordinary, common people like you and me, living and dying through a night of horror beyond description. What a challenge for American Christians to be missionaries to our own country, lest we produce a Stalin. In 1929, the plea from the Russian Missionary Society went out for missionaries. Would things have been different for the geographical Russian countries if thousands of Christians had responded? That scenario might not have stopped the tragedy of Stalin, but the millions who perished might have perished with hope. The bread of heaven might have been the light at the end of the tunnel for these dying in hopeless darkness. We stand at the greatest open door of all times. Pray that we can get the gospel seed planted in the remaining nations of the world. 1929 was a tragedy. It's a story of missed opportunity. Again, we stand before great open doors. A few months past, we've set a goal of having BMI missionaries working in 100 countries of the world. That goal has been accomplished. There are only 95 nations on earth with a few dependent nations and islands of the sea Additionally, we're praying that God would help us to get the least the gospel seed into every one of these nations in our lifetime. It must be possible because Jesus said, do it. And we know that with God, all things are possible. Some of these nations are emerging from the darkness of atheistic communism. One of those nations is 
country of Armenia. The scenes from Armenia still haunt me. We gave Bibles out in the hospitals, in the schools, orphanages, the older streets were actually mobbed for Bibles. The Armenians have suffered more than most people in the world. The Turks came in and killed a million and a half Armenians in 1915. And that was half of the Armenian population in the whole world. And then in 1988, they had that horrible earthquake. We visited Spitak in Armenia. This was the city that it hit hardest by the earthquake. I remember we in the bus, the team was in the bus, we drove through the snowy mountaintops, and we came, came out of that, and the bus driver pulled up on the hillside, and he pointed to a spot in the, in the distance, and he, it was all rocks and rubble, and that was Spitak. It had been hit by the earthquake, and in 45 short seconds, nothing remained. The city was gone, and 25,000 people died in those 45 seconds. 25,000 people went into eternity. Twelve years after the quake, the team saw hundreds of families still living in the metal containers which brought the aid after the earthquake. The containers are rusting and leaking. The team distributed Bibles to the refugees who often kissed the Bibles and the team members. The hope of 12 years has turned into a living death for these survivors, <coughs> a night that ceases to end, a hopelessness without recovery. People who once had it all, food, clothing, shelter, jobs, pride, are now sentenced to live out their days in rusty metal boxes. But for a moment, the team stood in their midst and touched them with love.
team from BIMI into the country to give out the first Bibles. God, well, there was an absolute miracle this time of the year. None of us knew what would happen. The response was wonderful. Reaching hands extended for our Bibles. Some kissed them. Others kissed us. They were just glad that some Americans cared enough for Albanians to come and give them Bibles. 5,000 people were physically touched. 5,000 people who had lived all of their lives in atheistic darkness went home for the first night of their lives with a word from God. The communist dictator had crushed all religions. He had destroyed all the churches. He had erased every trace of God from public view for a lifetime. His country was totally atheist. God was gone. Near the end of his life, he openly boasted that he had eradicated God. And when he died, he left a nation with nothing but economic ruin and four million lives in the rubble of despair. And yet, out of the swollen remains of a destroyed people, rises a still small voice, calling the lonely and heartsick souls back to God. Through the darkness shines the light of the bearers of truth. And when the weeds wrapped up around the dictator's grave, we placed thousands of copies of the Bible in the region hands. Hatred for the word of God is not new. It is historic. Men have tried throughout all generations to crush it, to destroy it, but it still remains. They burned his messengers, yet other messengers rise out of the ashes. They banned his presence from their borders, and yet those who banned it die, and the book lives on. They've carried it out to the depths of the sea. They've drowned it in the waves. And yet, somehow the word of God always makes his way back to shore. Last eve, I paused beside the blacksmith's door to hear the anvil ring his vesper chime. And looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn by beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter? All these hammers, so. Just one, said he, and then between the eye, the anvil wears a hammer shot, you know. And so I thought, the anvil of God's word, for ages skeptic blows have beat upon, but though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unworn, the hammers gone. Long ago, the Apostle Paul preached the gospel in Albania. Titus gave his life. In Albania. Albania, so long in darkness, still waits for light. One thing from the Bible distribution in St. Petersburg lingers in my mind. Two women approached one of our team members and they received what was probably their first copy of the Word of God. One woman was an older woman, probably in her 80s, and the other was a younger woman. And when they received their Bibles, they sat down on a bench, and the younger woman began reading to the older woman. She would read a while and stop, and the older woman would tug on her arm and say something to her. And they did this over and over again. And we knew that the older woman must be saying, read me more. From that scene, Jim wrote a song.
has embarked on a ministry to take the gospel to the bottom of the earth, to an area at the very tip of South America. This area, only 750 miles from Antarctica, is the southernmost city in the whole world. Literally, the end of the world, or the uttermost part of the earth. In 1520, Ferdinand Magellan endeavored to sail around the earth on behalf of the government of Spain. He discovered and navigated the waterway at the tip of South America between the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans. But it is considered a difficult route to navigate because of the unpredictable winds and the currents and the narrowness of the passage. The strait is 350 miles long. Along the shore, Magellan saw countless fires burning set by the wild people who inhabited the land. He named the area the land of smoke and later the land of fire. In 1832, Charles Darwin joined an expedition to the area researching his theory of evolution. Darwin described the wild native people of the island in these words recorded in his journal. I believe if the world were searched, no lower creed of man could be found. I shall never forget how savage and wild one group was. Four or five men suddenly appeared, scarcely like that of earthly inhabitants. There must be an end of all hopes of bettering their condition. Charles Darwin. Darwin, in fact, was saying that there is no hope for people so heathen. The people of the land were indeed rugged. They wore no clothes, lived among the bushes, in the caves. They killed intruders without mercy. Several missionary expeditions were sent to evangelize the natives. Because of their violence and murderous nature, the missions were recalled to England. Perhaps Darwin was right. Perhaps these people were beyond hope. In the darkest moment, a 17-year-old boy by the name of Thomas Bridges, asked permission to stay behind and carry on the work. Thomas Bridges was given the surname of Bridges because, as a baby, he had been found abandoned on a bridge in Bristol, England. The young man stayed behind and perfected the language, completed a dictionary in 1879, containing over 30,000 words. Amazingly, the natives responded to the young man who could speak their language, and eventually, Turned to Christ. The mission organized by Bridges was located at what is now the town of Luswaya. The young missionary organized the language, opened a church and a school. Several years later, a visitor to Luswaya reported, I saw 36 men, women, and children who were baptized, and seven couples had been married as Christians. There was a school, a church, and a congregation, crammed full of people. Some of the natives have begun to meet for prayer and singing in their own dwellings. Darwin could not understand the change. Even though he had released upon the world his theory of evolution, he wrote to James Sullivan in 1870, who was vice president of the South American Missionary Society. Darwin said, The success of the mission changed me, as I had always prophesied utter failure. And then he added, I certainly were not that all the missionaries in the world could have done what has been done. Although Darwin never renounced evolution, he had to recognize the changing power of the gospel. And when he died in Kent in 1882, his hopeless end was enshrouded in darkness. While the once wild, furious, primitive people of Uswaya at last had light in their darkness.
And when they lay down to die, they possess assurance of eternal life and heaven. Something Charles Darwin never had. The little baby, Thomas Bridgers, found in Bristol, England, abandoned under a bridge, accomplished the impossible by giving his whole life to rescue the poor people of Uspaya, who had also been abandoned by all humanity. Today, the island of Thire has a population of over 60,000 people, again in need of light. BIMI has a project to take the gospel again to the present-day population at the end of the world. Our goal is 50,000 Bibles at a cost of $125,000. We need 125 churches or people who would give $1,000. Or perhaps 20 people in a church would give $50. That would be $1,000. But God can use any gift. Can you help? Will you plant yourself personally at the end of the world by your gift? The city at the end of the world in need of light, your gift can literally touch the uttermost part of the earth. Please pray for the remaining 95 countries of the world that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ask God what he would have you to do. Perhaps God would have you to go. Perhaps God would have you to give. We know God would have you to pray. Okay, have the lights. Do you have any questions? Okay, I hope you will pray for that project. And let me just uh, today... Uh, that took up a good bit of time. Let me just talk to you just a minute or two about the uh, Bible uh, distribution. And I um, appreciate all that you're doing. I know that you're involved in missions, and thank God uh, for you and all that uh, you're doing. Turn, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. And let me give you two verses in Isaiah and chapter 59. The 59th chapter of Isaiah, and these two verses describe lost people, I think, maybe better than any I know in the Bible as far as uh, the condition they're in. Isaiah 59, and we'll begin, look at verse 9, if you will. Isaiah 59, verse 9, Therefore is judgment far from us, neither doth justice overtake us. And look at this statement. We wait for light, but behold obscurity. For brightness, but we walk in darkness. And that's where lost people all over the world are. They're waiting for light, but they just have confusion. They have no answers, and they're waiting for light. 
We walk in darkness. Might be noonday and bright, but they're walking in darkness. And the next verse, verse 10, we grope for the wall like the blind. We grope as if we had no eyes. I mean, have you ever have you seen a blind man with his white cane making his way down the street and feeling his way? That's the way lost people are. They're trying to find their way, but they can't find it. And they said, uh, we stumble at noonday. We, we grope as if we had no eyes. And they have no eyes spiritually. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. And this is the way lost people are. They cannot see. They have no light. Lenin came into Russia in 1917 and took over Russia and, of course, put communism uh, in place. He sent his police through every town and village in Russia, and the orders were to uh, hang eight men in the middle of town, to hang them not because they had committed a crime, but just to instill terror. He closed the churches. He said religion was poison. It was the opium of the people. Then, of course, Stalin came, and, and you saw something about Stalin on the video, but he killed 50 million people. And that was that area of Russia where he starved deliberately 20 million people to death. Now, you can think about uh, Chattanooga in this area, and they were just people like you. And what if there was no food? What if a, what if there was a, a national calamity and the food trucks stopped. You know, most of us have gotten beyond gardens and farm life like a lot of us uh, used to be. Uh, America used to be so rural. But now if the stores got empty in three days, where would you get food? There would be no food. And so it would be easy to starve a section of people to death, 20 million of them, not because there's no food in the country, but politically incorrect people. And I've had Russians tell me, uh, they said, Brother Ray, the crops were good that year. There was no reason for people to starve to death. Uh, but they, they took every bit of food out of the gardens, out of the people's houses. And, uh, and you saw on the video, you, uh, the mention of a Paul Varnoff came by the church I pastored in Alabama. He said, I saw my little sister starve to death, gnawing on a piece of shoe leather, trying to live, trying to get some food value out of that. But don't forget Stalin and 20 million people who starved to death. St. Petersburg, Russia, the uh, Hitler had surrounded that city, have 550 uh, thousand people that starve to death in St. Petersburg, Russia. Don't forget Stalin. Don't forget Lenin. Don't forget uh, Siberia, that frozen hill where so many of God's people were sent to labor uh, and to die. And Vietnam and communists in Vietnam and North Korea and all the Americans that uh, are dead would be alive today in our lifetime were it not for the communists uh, trying to take over the world in those sections and our country trying to maybe do something about it. Uh, and, and don't forget Cambodia, that little country, uh, just, uh, I don't know, two or three million people. The Khmer Rouge came in and killed a million of them. And uh, anybody who could read, they killed them. Anybody who traveled, they killed them. Anybody who was educated, the Khmer Rouge communists, they were supported by China, killed all these people. National Geographic had a picture on their magazine back in the 70s of a picture of a mound of human skulls of people that the Khmer Rouge had killed. And, and don't forget the communists in Cambodia and Cuba and Nicaragua at one time and different places in the world. And all of that, and now amazingly, 
In our lifetime, we can take the word of God in the very heart of Satan's kingdom. And we have. We've dropped, I mean, hand, I mean, and Brother Allen could tell you about it. One-on-one uh, looking into a million people's faces, touching a million people's hand, literally, and giving them a Bible and placing a Bible in their hands. And of all the, uh, the, uh, the million Bibles and other places now since then, I, I don't think I ever saw any that were torn up and thrown on the ground. Might have been one, some communists dropped, but, but the people took them and they held them close. And then, of course, the team from BIMI went out to the largest Muslim country in the world, Indonesia. More Muslims in that country than any other country in the world. He had 48,000 Bibles. That Brooks and Robert Meyer and our team went out there and did that and uh, other in the Solomon Islands recently and now Ushuaia and Buenos Aires will be attached to this project that's upcoming but so many people still wait for light and uh, what opportunities we have. We went into um, this fantastic uh, part of the world that had been closed for so long and so many opportunities, and your pastor, I'm sure, has related some of those. We went into a Soviet military factory and, and the Soviet Union by agreement. I mean, Gorbachev was in power. Things were really changing at that point. And they said, you can come in. There were, there were 10,000 people who worked in the factory. And the, the plan was that we would put our Bibles in the lobby. And then when they would come for their break, you know, at different times, we'd be there, hand them a Bible. But, but word spread throughout the factory that some Americans were there, and they were giving Bibles out. And, and 10,000 people left their jobs immediately and went down to the lobby. It was chaos. I mean, you know, the manager said, I'm sorry, you can't do this. The factory is closing down. He said, you can go out on the street, but you can't do it in the factory. He was kind, but he just didn't know what to do. And so we, we, our team got the boxes. We carried them out on the street uh, from the lobby out on the sidewalk. And guess what? 10,000 people followed us out on the street. And we gave them the word of God. God. We went into an old people's home, a thousand old people who were nearing the borders of eternity, and all of their life, all they had known was communism that said, there's no God, there's no Christ, he, he didn't come out of the grave. Uh, trust in communism. The state is your God, but as they neared the borders of eternity, God in his mercy sent a team from BIMI with book in hand to give them a word of hope. And we went into a school, and 900 little school children lined up, dressed in their little uniforms in the Soviet Union, and the teachers behind them like this. And we gave 900 little ch children in the school in the Soviet Union a Bible. And the teachers said, we have 500 others coming in the afternoon. Could you leave us 500 Bibles for them? And we had that many at that time. We could do that. Now, isn't that amazing, folks? Giving Bibles out in the public schools, just like we do here in Chattanooga, right? That's the way it used to be. Some of you might remember a time when you were kids in school and the Gideons came and gave us New Testaments. I remember I was in the third grade. Those days are long gone. And isn't that amazing? We are leaving light and we're headed toward darkness. And they're leaving darkness and they're headed toward the light. And we are literally passing on the road. But what amazing opportunities we've had. Mary and I were in the Ukraine on the first Easter Sunday, they were allowed to celebrate it just several years back. And they had not, that had been an outlaw to holiday to celebrate Easter. And we were able to be there. And 
we, uh, on the Easter Sunday afternoon, we went out into a, in fact, in fact they closed on, on, on Good Friday. I remember, I bet nobody remembers but me. Uh, I talk about these old days and old things, and how many of you remember? Mary never raises her hand. I mean, she says, I don't remember any of that. I'm just not old enough to remember any of that. Anybody remember when... Uh, it had probably small towns in America. On Good Friday, they would close the stores for Good Friday, for 3 o'clock. Uh, well, up in all Illinois, where I pastor, they did that, and they used to do that. Uh, well, they did that in Ukraine, and they closed Saturday and Easter Sunday, and they closed Easter Monday. I mean, when they were allowed to celebrate uh, Easter, they did it for a whole weekend. The Ukrainian Christians took it way out in the country to a little village in the Ukraine, they said the gospel has never been in this village before. They said they had a Russian Orthodox priest out there, but they said that's not the gospel. And so we went out there, and the Ukrainian Christians carried their brass instruments out, and we found a bus stop. And only about 500 people maybe lived in the village. And so we, we gathered around this bus stop, and I think 250, 300 of the people came of the five, 500 who lived there, came out to that bus stop, and we had a service on Easter Sunday afternoon out there. And, uh, I mean, it was so unusual. The, uh, there were chickens running around and dogs and cats, and I was trying to, and Mary sang, and we had a, you know, a good group there at the bus stop, and I was trying to stay a little bit on my notes, you know. And, and every time I'd get going, a billy goat came behind me and would nibble at the back of my foot. And I would kick the thing back, and, you know, then I'd find my place again, and I'd start back again, and he'd come back for another nibble. Pastor, you ever tried to preach with a billy goat gnawing on your toe? It, it, it's a little bit distracting. Finally, a Ukrainian woman came out. She grabbed that billy goat, kicked the thing, and it squealed, and that was the end of the goat. And on the way back to town, I said, you know, in more at that time, in more than 30 years of preaching, that's the first time Somebody got my goat while I was preaching, but they did. Uh, but we got out on the train station square on Monday, and uh, there were thousands of people coming and going. Now, now you got the train station square was huge, tracks in the, on the perimeter, and uh, they, we as Kiev was a city of eight hundred thousand people. So there were a lot of people, and they were going everywhere on Easter Monday, visiting people and moving through that train station, and we gave Bibles out. You say, that's significant. It is because uh, they were never allowed to go anywhere during communist times. If you were caught outside, this is how they control the people. If you were caught outside of your county in communist times, they would take you and there would be no trial, be no hearing, Siberia. You'd go to be shipped to Siberia and you would probably never be heard from again. So... Nobody ever went anywhere, but now they could. Communism had fallen, and they could travel. And on Easter Monday, they were going, and thousands coming through that train station and had a great big courtyard, like about the size of your, your whole lot here probably. And uh, we would get uh, out there with our Bibles, and, and we would, uh, Biblia, Bis Plotner, three Bibles, and they would, two or three hundred would gather. And uh, I'd do a little preaching with, a, with a, you know, uh, somebody interpreting for me, and, and the young people from a church once pastored by George Uvens came out and they could sing. And that's another story. But the two or three hundred people would stand there. I'd preach, give them, give them Bibles. We'd be through. They'd just stand there. They were just in awe that some Americans 
We're here in that country. I mean, the enemy here giving Bibles out. And uh, so we'd pack our boxes up like we were going home, and then that crowd would move on to the trains and be gone. So we'd go to another part of the square, and we'd do it all over again. Two or three hundred would gather, and they would just stand there till, till we acted like we were through, and they would move on. I remember we did that all afternoon. I remember uh, one occasion, uh, one of those crowds, one of those groups, I said I learned a, a phrase in uh, Ukrainian and R- Russian, the language is very, uh, very similar, very close. I said, uh, Christus vos Christ, that means Christ is alive. So I, in the middle of my message, I said, Christus vos Christ. And uh, a man stepped out from the crowd. I'll never forget it, Brother Allen. And he stepped out. He held his hand toward the sky. And he said, Christus vos Christ. Christ is alive. And then that whole station came alive. All those people in unison said it together. They said, Christus, vos Christ, Christ is alive. I can't describe the momentum. I mean, here was communism that said there is no God. Jesus never came out of the grave. Communism, dead and dying and crumbling in the dirt. But Jesus was still living on. And he will continue to live on. Down in Romania, the revolution against communism was uh, just like spontaneous combustion. Nobody planned it. It, was ju- it just happened. Uh, they, were, they were suppressed by Ceausescu, the dictator down there. And uh, he passed a law that every teacher had to teach in the public schools that God doesn't exist. And, you know, we, I wonder how long it's before we get to Amer- in America like that. And so um, here's a whole, he'd been assassinated. But there were, with the revolution against him, it just broke out. I mean, nobody had planned it. It just happened. People marched against him. There were two to three hundred thousand people marching against Ceausescu in Timisoara, the second largest city. In the country. Now you've got a picture in your mind, two, three hundred thousand marching through the street. And these people who um, uh, marching against communism, some Christians were involved in that and they started to sing a hymn. They started to sing, He lives on high. And uh, then it caught on. And that became the theme song of the revolution in Romania. The who had outlawed God, these hundreds of thousands of people singing, He lives on high. And as they marched, They chanted, they chanted, and they marched, and they chanted these people who have been taught there's no God, that he doesn't exist. As they marched against communism, they chanted, and they chanted this. God does exist. God does exist. God does exist. you got to think about, I want to tell you, God does exist. No dictator is going to stop God from moving on in this world. And we have a part in sending his word to people never heard. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray today that you would help us to be all that we should be. You do exist. Help us not to live our lives and our days as if you did not. Let us think of you every hour. Let us tell others of you and send your word to the far corners of the earth. For Jesus' sake, let's stand with heads bowed and eyes closed and ask Mary to come and just play something softly. And as you stand, I want you to reach down and I want you to pick your Bible up. We would do that. We just, just take your Bible and, uh, and hold it close to your heart. If, and, try, and I trust you have it with you. Hold your Bible close to your heart. I want you to think about millions of people just like you who have never had a Psalm 23, 
who have never had a John 3.16, never had a shred of hope. And I hope you'll pray for them, and I hope that you'll appreciate the Word of God that you hear for some reason. He has allowed you to have it, allowed us to be here and to know Him. And as you play softly, it's invitation time. And if you need to come and kneel here and just thank God for your Bible, that'd be all right. I'll bring your burden and lay it at this altar. If you need to come and rededicate your life, if by chance there should be somebody here unsaved and you need to come and accept Christ, let Brother Ali know and he'll show you the way to Christ as we wait for a moment. Amen. Brother Adam. 